Hello from the 2018 Equal Justice Conference in San Diego, California. I'm Kimberly Sanchez. I'm Samantha Howell. And I'm Tristia Bauman. And we're on the road with Legal Talk Network. so much for joining us on the road. Why don't my uh, esteemed colleagues right now introduce themselves? Hi, I'm Samantha Howell, and I currently am the executive director for the New York State chapter of the National Association of Social Workers. I am an attorney and previous to this position, uh, did prisoners' rights litigation and pro bono management. My name is Tristia Bauman. I'm a senior attorney at the National Law Center on Homelessness and Poverty. Prior to that, I worked as a public defender in Miami-Dade County and also briefly at Legal Services of Greater Miami, where I met my interviewer. (laughs) Yeah, it's a small world here. It is a small world. (laughs) Those of us in the fight stay in the fight. I know, that's right, that's right. And the uh, workshop that you were uh, speaking about was homelessness, the criminalization of poverty, homelessness, bail reform, and employment. That's like a a ton of words right there and very, very important to the cause. So let's talk about like why we're here and what we're talking about. We started off actually proposing two very similar sessions that were merged. Mine focused on exclusively criminalization of homelessness, which is a growing national problem, and it was great to combine it to include some of the other topics. So mine was uh, the criminalization of poverty more broadly in looking at bail reform and then the actual penal codes and civil fines that we impose on people solely for being poor and in public spaces. I don't think people think about like poverty and criminalization in the same term. So let's talk a little bit about that. So the idea of criminalization of poverty is uh, really focused on the idea that we don't want certain types of people in certain types of spaces. And there's a long history of criminalizing poverty. And when we say criminalization, it's not just criminal. It's civil. Um, There's a lot of different components to that. And I think, you know, you can go back a long way, but a real sort of nexus of where this started coming up was in the 80s with the defunding of mental health institutions that forced a lot of people who had mental health issues, um, who were not able to work long-term or full-time onto the streets. And in large cities especially, what you ended up having was a lot of very seriously mentally ill people who did not have the ability to find employment, maintain housing, living on the streets. And so the resulting sort of the result of that, which also coincides with broken windows policy, which is the idea that small crimes lead to big crimes. And then the response to that, which was zero tolerance, which is, you know, uh, uh, severe penalties for minor offenses. When you put all those together, what you really have is a, a mass incarceration system that targets people who are indigent and who have coexisting issues that are not being addressed through the current systems. The criminalization of homelessness is a growing problem, as I mentioned. We have tracked at the Law Center 187 cities across the country, big and small, urban, rural, since 2006, and we've uh, surveyed laws on their books that criminally or civilly punish the life-sustaining activities of homeless people in public space. Homelessness itself, of course, is a huge crisis. The estimate is somewhere from around 600,000 using a HUD definition to over a million using a Department of Education definition to multiple 
multiple millions if we are talking about a true picture of the homeless population. And people are subject to criminal and civil penalties or just displaced from public spaces where they're forced to be by virtue of a lack of options. So we, we went through a couple of things both uh, helping people understand the nature of what criminalization is, who it affects, and also all of the myriad ways that you can end up facing criminal penalties when you're just resting or otherwise surviving. Okay. And so what are we doing about this? <laughs> um, so we talked about solutions and, you know, some of the solutions involve litigation, um, which is makes sense for, for an attorney population. Some of it involves activism. Um, one, one point that I, I always like to emphasize is the strategic uh, utilization of privilege to assist those communities in need. So I am a, a middle-class white female homeowner that comes inherent with it privilege that I need to use strategically um, through going to my legislature and advocating for um, uh, homeless shelter services, for uh, representing people who are arrested in sweeps. There are things that we can do on a very individual level, and then we have to look more systemically at how we do it. That's right. So the Law Center, along with some of our partner organizations like the National Coalition for the Homeless and others, launched Housing Not Handcuffs, which is a national campaign designed to move local governments away from criminalization strategies and toward housing strategies. Uh, that is a campaign with over 100 uh, member organizations, even more individuals, and we employ a lot of different strategies to combat criminalization, communications and organizing strategies, policy advocacy, really at all levels of government, as well as, of course, litigation strategies as well. Yeah, no, it sounds like, so if we house a person, then they have a better opportunity. Is that right? We know that housing is inherent to uh, the ability to remain stably, well, let me, let me uh, let's scratch that. I did not say that well. Housing is essential to stability, and that's the premise behind Housing First, and we know that Housing First can work, does work when it's implemented well, uh, and we know that housing is cheaper than homelessness, and so it's a solution we should always be investing in. So what is the message that we're giving to the group here at the Equal Justice Conference? Well, so one message that we had that I have specifically is that we need to de-incentivize uh, a poverty community. Um, as, as an American economy and as individuals, we make a lot of money off of what poverty. What does that mean by de-incentivize a poverty community? Right, so poverty is an extraordinarily lucrative business. There's a lot of money in keeping people poor. And you can look at it very locally, which is pawn shops, check cashing places. These are high interest turnover organizations that, that I would argue target and, and benefit from the poor. But you can also look at real systemic issues, prisons, which benefit from largely poor populations. When you think of the um, wealthy white men who go to prison, for example, after the uh, housing crisis, there was one who was convicted of fraud and who went to prison after the housing crisis. But when you think of the number of young men of color who go to prison who haven't destroyed the entire country's economy and global economy, it's staggering. We make a lot of money off of incarcerating people who are oftentimes committing offenses in order to survive. Um, these are oftentimes low-level property offenses, theft, for example. Um, they might be drug offenses, which ties into a mental health issue because they don't have access to medical care, mental health care, so they self-medicate. Um, it can also just be public order offenses, such as yelling in public, 
um, being publicly intoxicated, um, sitting in, uh, in places, standing where you're not supposed to. We need to de-incentivize a pro-poverty economy. Mm-hmm. How do we do that? How do we de-incentivize that? We have to find ways to incentivize getting rid of poverty. Um, One of the things that we've talked about at our session, for example, is right now there's a lot of money being spent on the incarceration of people, predominantly people of color and predominantly people of lower socioeconomic status. When you look at the data, it's consistent, um, highly disproportionate to the general population. Um, Also highly disproportionate when you look at mental illness. Um, more people with mental illness are incarcerated. But there are movements. We talked about the tiny house movement. And there's a huge movement to build tiny houses for homeless so that they have an address, which gives them access to jobs and benefits and public services. Voting rights. Voting Voting rights. rights. The ability to get your kid in school. Exactly. The the ability to have your child because you have a home. Um, There's a profit in tiny homes. On any given night in this country, there are 600,000 people who are homeless. Oh, that is a huge statistic in this country. 600,000. Every night. Every and it's night. an undercount. Even the federal oh, government yeah, concedes it's, it's an undercount. Oh, it's a huge undercount. Yeah. Most of these statistics are. It's like when you say one in four women report sexual assault. We know that's an undercount. So we are here at the Equal Justice Conference, right? And we're talking to like a group of people who are totally interested in this particular issue. So I think the next question is, how do we get them involved? And then if we need pro bono and like volunteer attorneys, how do we get them involved, right? Yeah, one of the questions that elicited the longest response uh, from both of us was about how attorneys can get involved. And we found that we really were sort of spitballing ideas about what could happen. And we came up with like 15 things yeah. <laughs> uh, that, <laughs> that we know that we know work. Um, and they can be the, the very low-hanging fruit type involvement where maybe you're just an observer. But just having a legal observer who sees what's happening in a sweep, sees what's happening in a court, uh, can really make a difference between justice being served or not, somebody being displaced or not, whether they can keep their property if they're evicted from their homeless encampment, for example or not. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we, of course, ramped it up to uh, higher levels of representation, like, for example, representing people who are living in their cars cited with parking tickets for living in their cars and who will then have to go to uh, some court system where they will not be granted an attorney. There's a lot of need for representation at that level or at the magistrate level. Because we're not just talking about, like, a person sleeping on a street, right? We're talking about, like, homelessness is defined as what? Because it's not just that person on the street that you, like, recognize, right? It's somebody living maybe in a hotel. It's somebody living in their car. I mean, what are we talking about here? I'm actually hoping that's one of the biggest takeaways from my part um, today is to help people understand that we are talking about a very diverse population and the myths behind who is homeless are not reflective of who is in fact homeless. Any sort of solution to homelessness needs to contemplate the diversity and the population. Uh, We over rely on certain interventions like emergency shelter, for example, to solve a housing crisis. It's an inappropriate intervention, not just because it will never solve homelessness, but also because a group shelter setting doesn't work for everyone. And as we craft solutions, we need to be mindful of diversity. And I think we have to probably recognize that homelessness exists Right. And so we need to probably proactively do something about it. And we have a 
we have a obligation as attorneys on some level to make sure that there's access to justice so that there are, um, you know, benefits to that. How do we engage lawyers to help in this cause? I think one thing is, is helping, and this is the challenge with any type of pro bono work, is letting attorneys know that there is, there is a way if there is a will. And some of it can be this high-level representation. It could be impact litigation. It could also be helping someone with a parking ticket. But you can also propose legislation for your town. I mean, the, the truth is, is, I mean, the statistics that were presented, you know, 49% of cities banned something, 60% of cities banned something that, that impacts homelessness. Um, those are city regulations, townships, villages. And so you can't sue Texas and fix all of the problems. You have to go city by city, town by town, and look at those local legislatures and local councils and and put them on spot and really call them out for what is uh, an inhuman practice of treating people without dignity and without value and without respect. And so attorneys, I think, really should think creatively about where their strengths are and where their interests are because there is always a way. There just needs to be the will. If I'm a lawyer and I see a homeless person on the street and I think, this is like really offensive to me, right? What do I do, right? How do I help? I think there's a legal intervention here. What is that legal intervention and then how do I help? I just want to say first off, if you see a, a homeless person on the street and you're offended, um, I mean, good, because you should be offended that people are homeless in this country. But um, one of the, I think part of the problem here is the recognition of homelessness. Right. So offended in a way that is like no, no, offensive yeah. to the person, yeah. right? No, offensive no. to me. Right. No, no, I understand <laughs> that. But what I'm saying is, is this country doesn't recognize it. And so go up to that person and introduce yourself and ask them how their day has been and treat them like a person because that's the immediate impact. Um, you know, it, 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 there's been some really great art installations and work um, on people having conversations with the homeless in New York City and telling their stories. And I think that's one very human step that we all can do. But from a legal perspective, there's a lot that can be done. Right. What do we do? Uh, well, one thing is you can join the law center as pro bono counsel in a uh, litigation. We litigate all across the country, um, both against the federal government, state governments, and local governments to prevent and end criminalization of homelessness and to enforce uh, housing strategies. We also uh, partner with our pro bono network on writing reports, on doing research, on uh, drafting model legislation, on uh, doing some data analysis. For example, what I cited about the growth and criminalization of homelessness, and we've seen really marked growth over 10 years, we know that because our pro bono firms have helped us do surveys of 187 cities over 10 years, and we, that's not something that we would have the resources necessarily to do on our own. There's a lot of ways for attorneys to assist generally in the cause, again, and communications strategies, organizing, policy advocacy, and litigation strategies, the opportunities are there. So if I want to participate and I want to get in touch with you, Tristia, how do I get in touch with you? You can find me at www.nlchp.org for National Law Center on Homelessness and Poverty. You can also find a lot of our great materials at our campaign website. That's housingnothandcuffs.org, all one word. Uh, and you also can uh, reach me, T. Bauman, at nlchp.org. I'm here for you. And you can find me on LinkedIn under Samantha Howell. You can contact me at showell.nas. N-A-S-W-N-Y-S at socialworkers.org. 
I would also commend you to reach out to your local guild chapters and civil liberty union chapters because they also are doing a lot of work in this area and have a great deal of expertise that they can offer in every region. Well, we really appreciate you both being on the panel today and talking about what happened at your workshop and like how your workshop took. This is an incredibly important issue. We've reached the end of the road for today's episode. I want to thank our guests for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. We also want to thank our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please find and rate us an Apple podcast. We'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Uh